and welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, remember you can text the word SHOW to 33777 and you can get links for the podcast, the live stream, the daily email, the show notes, all of that stuff, uh, a, a useful thing to do. Uh, right now, though, I want you to, if you can, if you're willing, uh, text the word DONATE to uh, 33777, and I'm going to send you back a link to the uh, Florida uh, Volunteer Florida Nonprofits link for hurricane disaster relief. Uh, a lot of damage down in Florida. We don't know. There have been media reports about the death toll. We don't actually know uh, the death toll. Uh, we, we don't actually know uh, just how bad it is. We can presume it's bad because of the number of people who chose not to evacuate. We, we can presume that it's not going to be good. At the same time, we just simply don't know yet uh, the extent of the damage. Uh, we don't know yet the extent of the situation with people there. Uh, we have uh, some vague sense of the numbers of people who stayed put, but it's just a bad situation. So pray for the people of Florida. Prayer actually does matter. Um, you know, it's, you know I, let me just pause for just a moment and, and say something uh, that I probably shouldn't. You know, I occasionally do talk about faith and I, I try to to bracket it off and do something in a segment at the end of the show where I do a Good Friday show, I do a Christmas show. Um, and otherwise, I, I, I segment it there. You all know my worldview. Don't hide from it. I've been to seminary. I have it finished. I got to go back. I've been dying to go back and just it, it, life has been crazy. But I just, in all honesty... I don't know that you or I spend enough time on our knees in prayer. And some of you aren't believers, and this isn't directed at you, and please don't get mad at me for talking about this and send me hate mail and demand I move on and not waste your time with this. Uh, you're not the only ones listening. There are some people who probably need to hear this. Uh, you get rote in your prayers, and um, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay, bedtime. Thoughtful, actually, just having a conversation with someone who doesn't talk back is a skill set we've probably lost. And it's one we should probably get back when it comes to prayer because um, if there is a God and he is listening, he's listening to you when you're on your knees in prayer. And I try to do that every night. And sometimes it becomes very rote and check the box. Uh, it, when life is stressful, though, sometimes it's, it's necessary. There have been times in my life I found myself waking up unable to sleep, and the only thing that puts me back to sleep is to go hide somewhere in the house where no one can find me and just uh, weep and pray and, and ask God to make it all okay. And times like this, when there's a calamity and a natural disaster, um, it it sometimes you're, you're not praying about yourself, but I have found in my life when I become obsessively self-centered in my prayers, Oftentimes, the good Lord gives me other things to need to pray for, and sometimes I have to make myself do it. And it's always way easier for me because I'm a self-absorbed person to pray about my needs and myself and my family and not some abstract remote person I don't know who might be stuck under a roof as water rises in their home 
because they didn't evacuate in Florida because they thought they could ride out the storm and it turned out to be too much for them. But those people who you don't know, you've never seen, and you'll never meet, they need prayer too. So just consider being a little more thoughtful and deliberate in how you pray. It also does you good. Um, Psychologically, I don't know why, but it makes me feel better after I've prayed and like, okay, I can take this off my hands and let him deal with it and stop worrying about it because worries is sin. That was wild card random observation, but I feel like it needed to be said. Now, I'm going to go take a phone call. Speaking of the hurricane, Lewis uh, has been down in Fort Myers. Lewis, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. Hey, um, I went down there Sunday, all the way down there, and basically was a customer asked a request, thank you to come down and deliver. But we really weren't sure when that was going to come through. Uh, made the delivery there and went over to uh, West Palm Beach. Now, the funny thing about Florida is the west side has a little more trucker-friendly truck stops down there. But on the east side, you got to come up to about Fort Pierce to find a place to park. But the best way is just get out of there. That's what, that's what I did on Monday is got out of there completely. And by Tuesday, uh, that's when they were getting hit. And then you felt the effects, wind effects of that over there in uh, Gulfport. But you really don't know how, how long it takes to get out of there, especially when in the past in uh, Louisiana, I think it was Andrew and Harvey. Mm-hmm. Louisiana had a really hard time uh, coming out of there, especially down in, on the I-10 area when you come across 12 over into Roberts. Uh, Roberts, Louisiana, there's a big Walmart, D.C., and it's sustained down there. They had four tractor-trailer generators just to operate the refrigeration down there, just so nothing would spoil. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you're, if you're up and equipped and able, you know, this is where a neighbor really depends completely upon neighbor because sometimes the emergency evacuation isn't there. They're not going to hang around if they say get out, you know. You're basically on your own, and, and that's where we got the Cajun Navy from, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and, you know, one of the difficult things with Florida, too, is that given the, the, the design of the state, the, the geography of the state, is you've got uh, north-south interstates largely uh, that head up, and there's really no good way to escape a storm that moves from east to west or west to east without going north. And so everybody goes in one direction. You can't, like in Louisiana, you can tend to scatter to the east and to the west, depending on where you are, and spread out. Before. Everybody's got to go north or everybody's got to go to the west uh and it becomes very very difficult to to, depending on where that storm is going to get out of the way without and the the interstates are jam-packed so uh philip who works for me he and his wife were coming back from a cruise it took them 11 hours to make a seven hour trip because of so many people and then on monday i had to go do this event or tuesday i had to do an event north of atlanta and what should have been no more than a two-hour drive in the worst-case scenario wound up being three and a half hours because of all the people still driving north trying to find hotel rooms. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, Lewis, I, I, I had to do an event last night for my friend Tim Fleming who's running for the state legislature in Georgia. There's a resort in Georgia. It's called Reynolds. It used to be called Reynolds Plantation, but, you know, plantation has stigma now, so it's just Reynolds. And uh, there's a Ritz Carlton out there, and I needed to eat before this event. It's like they've got a nice little sports bar there. I'll just go grab a burger uh, there. And as we're coming in, there's this this big uh, van pulling in ahead of us, and it's Florida license plate, 
They got out of the car, out of this van. These two people looked like they had been driving all day and all night. And the the valet check-in says, are y'all hurricane refugees? And the guy says, yeah, we are. How can you tell? He says, well, I saw your license plate. And the guy looks at him and says, there are no hotels anywhere. We had to come here. Um, paying through the nose at a Ritz-Carlton uh, to find a place for shelter because they didn't have anywhere to go. Y'all, it, it it just for those of you who've never experienced this, because I know I've got a lot of listeners down in Ohio and Oklahoma, and, and in Oklahoma, of course, you experience tornadoes that I don't have to experience. California, you get earthquakes. Now you get fires. Um, a hurricane is an odd thing because most of the time there's no thunder and lightning in a hurricane. Now, when a hurricane gets really, really big, it can generate just in the friction of the static electricity lightning. This storm, you can tell it's a bad one because in the the, the frontal lobe, if you will, of the hurricane eye as it's advancing to the northern eye wall, there was a lot of lightning. And in a minor, in, in hurricanes that are like uh, a, a one, two, or three, you don't tend to get a lot of lightning and thunder. You just get a ton of rain because of the nature of hurricanes and how they move. But when they get very, very compact and they start spinning at the center, it becomes really like a giant tornado. And what it does, when you talk about the storm surge, when I was a kid, I thought that the storm surge meant it essentially blew the water in. It blew the water ahead of it because you got all these winds and it's pushing the water ahead of it. That's not what the storm surge really is. To a degree, the winds do push the water in. But what makes it significant is that think of the the eye, which is very calm. There's no wind. There's nothing there. But it is a massive pressure system, low pressure system. And so what it does, if you think of it like a tornado in that giant eye wall, is it sucks the water up. So you have this hill of water because the water bubbles up essentially underneath it. It pulls the water upward. In fact, in in Tampa Bay yesterday, as the hurricane was approaching, the water in the bay and the river areas there got sucked out to sea because that eye wall had such low pressure. Literally, the water underneath it is rising up like it's it's a thermometer. The water is just rising And as it comes in under that eye with that pressure, you've got this giant hill of water that's coming in. That's that's your surge. That's that's your water. In addition to blowing the water that hasn't been sucked up in front of it, you then have this big, big wave of water coming. So it brings a ton of flooding with it. And honestly, the it's the water that's more destructive than the wind in a lot of hurricanes because uh, in, in areas where you've got the restrictions and you've got the, the building codes and they use screws instead of nails and, and they build in certain ways, the wind is less likely to rip off a house at 100, 120 miles an hour. Uh, when you get to 155 like this one was when it came out short, it's another matter. But it's the water that causes so many problems. It's the water and the things in the water that do so much damage to these places. And then the bad part is because of the water and the wind combined, when you suddenly realize, oh, my gosh, this is worse than I thought, you can't get out. There, there's nowhere for you to go by. It's too late. That's why they urge advanced evacuations and they err on the side of being wrong, even though they know some people say, well, they were wrong last time. Going to be wrong this time. I'm not going to evacuate. They've got to do it that way 
because they never want to underestimate the size of one of these storms. They're massive. So I am, in fact, let me let me pull up this this app of mine so I can give you guys a sense of this. Uh, da, 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 da. So I've got this great, if you ever want a great radar program for your computer system, um, there's an app called Radar Scope, and I love it. Uh, I had to learn how to use it. So I am going to go down from Cape Coral where it came in. I'm 447 miles from Cape Coral, uh, north of Cape Coral where it came on shore. And we were getting wind yesterday. Now, for perspective, let me let me pull up the radars in the area where it's so, yeah, I can see it's spinning. The center of this storm is just off um, to the west of uh, Daytona Beach, Deltona, Orlando right now. I can see where the center is. And, and there's a method to my madness here. Bear with me here. Um, so I am uh, in Georgia, and I am going to run this little map. Again, bear with me here. So I am 343.1 miles from the center of this storm as it exists right now on radar. I'm 343.1 miles northwest of this storm. And you should see the wind outside my house right now. It is completely blue sky. There is not a cloud in the sky right now. The temperature is fantastic and glorious. It's 69 degrees outside, blue skies, and the trees are blowing every which way. For a storm I cannot see, for a storm that is not going to drop a single drop of rain now where I live, the trees are going nuts outside. That's how massive a storm system like this is. Powerful, powerful energy packed into the storm which again is why these these people need your prayers now. Uh, and they probably also need some donations. If you want to text the word donate to 33777, I will send you back the phone number or the, the link so that you can donate to Florida's volunteer site. That's where the governor's pushing people who want to help to donate. Um, we don't know yet casualty counts, death tolls, things like that. We will find out over the coming days. Rescuers are now starting to go into areas that have flooded now that the storm has passed. It's not safe, but it is safer for the experts to go in and try to rescue people. Um, but there is going to be a massive cleanup going on in Florida right now. Unfortunately, so much of it's going to get drowned out by people pushing political agendas on climate change. Bill Weir on CNN, it's his whole beat is climate change. And this entire storm, which is not, by the way, an anomalous storm. Yes, it's a 500-year flooding event in Florida, Florida, given the size of the storm and its path. But this is not some sort of anomalous, unique hurricane. And yet, if you listen to the news media, you would think it is because so many of them are so fixated and focused on climate change, they can't talk about the storm without talking about it that way. And it grossly distorts what's actually gone on in Florida. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. 
The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bull and Branch uses the highest quality threads on Earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from Twin to California King. You will feel the difference. And they're 100% free from toxins. No pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you wish to be on the program, I, I got to uh, play you this audio from Dr. Oz, who is going after John Fetterman's crime record. Fetterman is doubling down on releasing people uh, found guilty of second-degree murder, about 1,200 of them from Pennsylvania prisons. This is Dr. Oz. Now, my opponent in this race has taken a very firm stance on these issues, and he's done it for many years. There's a reason he's called the most pro-murderer candidate running for office. He seems to care more about the criminals than the innocent, as Maureen Faulkner was alluding to. He has explicitly stated that we can get one-third of prisoners out of jail and it wouldn't make a difference. He wants to get as many out as he can, I'm quoting him. He's argued dozens of times at the parole board to release criminals. Oftentimes these are convicted murderers serving lifetime sentences, which he believes also we shouldn't have. And some of these cases are quite harsh. I'm recalling one of a man who murdered his girlfriend's mother with scissors, went to jail because the jury convicted him, a jury of our peers convicted him, the judge sentenced him to life in prison, and yet while in jail, this man learned horticulture and started doing yoga. And John Fetterman said it didn't square with him that this man would actually have been guilty and he wanted him released. He was the only member of the parole board, only member of the parole board who felt he should be released. He's clearly way outside the norms of the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, of the people of Pennsylvania. And yet, he's campaigning saying that's the right thing to do. His positions on drugs, where he believes in legalization, decriminalization of all drugs. He's argued we should have heroin injection sites. Once an open border with the fentanyl pouring across, leading to the deaths of countless young Pennsylvanians. Good message at the end. Crime is an issue in Pennsylvania. Good message from Dr. Oz on this. He's actually seems to have found his footing in the last month or month and a half of the campaign uh, and is all over the state. And a lot of my friends in Pennsylvania think about cover politics there actually think he can win. Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program I want to talk about a difficult, difficult, um, difficult issue. It's only difficult because, well, it's one of those topics where when you talk about it, you think, um, is this going to get me in trouble for talking about this? Is, is, is something going to happen? (laughs) Friends, we need to discuss again the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Charles Cook 
who is uh, not a Native American. He's a Brit who became an American. God bless him. He wanted to be a American citizen, and now he is. And he's, I think, weathering one of his first big hurricanes down in Florida where he moved. He's one of those those Brits who moved to America, became an American, and instead of moving off to Texas, wound up a Floridian. And I want to read you part of a piece of his. In the New York Times this week, he writes, Brett Stevens complained that in unholy conjunction with the Department of Justice, the FBI had disgraced itself yet again with its public smear of Representative Matt Gates. I don't like Gates's politics or persona any more than you do, Stevens told a characteristically bewildered Gail Collins. But what we seem to have here is a high-profile politician being convicted in the court of public opinion by some of the most heinous behavior imaginable, trafficking a minor for sex, until the Justice Department realizes two years late the case has fallen apart. Which, well, yeah. That's what the FBI is for. Last week, a whistleblower named Kyle Serafin told the Washington Times the FBI had adopted, quote, an entirely ridiculous internal process for determining every single national priority, end quote. One must ask, ridiculous from whose perspective? Relative to the FBI's stated mission, its behavior does indeed look ridiculous. Relative to its historic conduct, its behavior seems pretty standard. What the FBI did to Matt Gates is precisely what it did to Donald Trump. And what it did to Donald Trump is what it's been doing since its founding, namely spying on or attempting to discredit anyone who irritates the powers that be, which would be the political establishment of Washington, of which Donald Trump was not a part. This, you may recall, and again, this is Charles Cook here. You may recall is the same agency that tried to persuade Martin Luther King Jr., to kill himself. It's the same agency that compiled a list of 12,000 Americans and, upon the outbreak of the Korean War, urged President Truman to jail them without trial. It's the same agency whose response to the KKK's murder of civil rights worker Viola Luzo, a murder that may have been abetted by an undercover FBI agent, was to spread rumors that Luzo was a heroin-addicted communist and a deadbeat mom. It's the same agency that kept a file on John Denver, the author of such subversive works as Take Me Home, Country Roads, because he opposed the Vietnam War. When, in 1974, Deputy Attorney General Lawrence Silberman was tasked with reviewing J. Edgar Hoover's secret papers, he was horrified by what he found. Hoover, Silberman wrote, had allowed his FBI to be used by presidents for nakedly political purposes and engaged in subtle blackmail to ensure his and his bureau's power. Matt Gates is merely the latest in a long line of victims. Many Americans were shocked when they learned the details of last week's extraordinary disproportionate raid against a pro-life activist in Pennsylvania. They shouldn't have been. The FBI thrives on disproportionality, which, when things go wrong, is habitually supplements with innuendo. As Brett Stevens correctly noted, we tend to err the most when we assume the worst about the people we like the least. One doesn't have to admire Randy Weaver to see the murders at Ruby Ridge could have been avoided if the FBI hadn't elected to entrap Randy Weaver in the first place. 
One doesn't have to admire David Koresh to grasp that the bloodshed at Waco could have been avoided if the FBI had picked him up in town instead of going in all guns blazing in an attempt to impress Washington, D.C. Does the FBI care? Has it ever cared? No. Since 1935, and indeed even before that, back when it was just the Bureau of Investigation, it has been a violent, expansionist, self-aggrandizing, and careless outfit which sits awkwardly within the American constitutional order and seems almost proud of that regrettable fact. Apologists for the agency like to insist it has changed since its bad old days, but change requires contrition, and none of such significance has been forthcoming. It's been decades since the United States learned who J. Edgar Hoover really was, and his name still proudly adorns the FBI headquarters. It is what it is. That's Charles Cook. Oh, it goes on from there. Uh, if you subscribe to the Daily Email, you can get the link. It, go to nationalreview.com otherwise. And now this from Miranda Devine at the New York Post. 30 former FBI agents, including a retired deputy assistant director, head of counterterrorism, and five SWAT team members have spoken out publicly in support of a suspended FBI whistleblower, Stephen Friend. Their heartfelt messages, obtained exclusively by the Post, show a widespread and deep anguish about the politicization of the FBI. Many former agents hailed Friend, a SWAT team member in Florida, as a hero after he was punished for refusing to participate in what he regarded as unnecessarily heavy-handed SWAT raids over January 6th misdemeanors. In his whistleblower complaint to the Department of Justice Inspector General, Friend alleged the FBI had been manipulating case file management in order to falsely inflate the threat of domestic terrorism and using unconstitutional excessive force against political dissenters. The media, by and large, doesn't want to cover his story because they believe that everybody who did anything wrong at all on January 6th gets what they deserve. Friends, the FBI needs at minimum a church committee investigation. I've mentioned Frank Church before. He was a Democratic member of the Senate who began a special committee investigation into the ongoing operations of the Central Intelligence Committee in the 1970s. What he found about the CIA bothered a lot of Americans. And they set about reforming the agency to essentially border it into the mission of intelligence and to fight commies. For a very long time, a lot of conservatives believed that uh, Frank Church had overplayed his hand. He was too much of a democratic populist. and It was bad, and it undermined our ability to gather intelligence. But subsequently, over time, as we've learned more and more about the things that um, the CIA was doing, a lot of people realized Church was kind of right, and maybe we need to do one about the FBI now. Charles Cook, back to him. He says he jotted down some reforms 
of the FBI, and I agree with this list, listen to this, mandate that if no underlying crime is discovered by the FBI in the course of an investigation, no process crimes can result from the investigation unless those process crimes are a lie to a grand jury or a lie that prevents the exoneration of an innocent person. Mandate that because it is expected to investigate crimes rather than people, the FBI explain in detail at the outset of any investigation the specific cause it has to begin its work. Mandate that the FBI as an agency of the federal government explain in detail at the outside of any investigation why it, rather than state or local police force, is getting involved in the case. Mandate the FBI is forbidden from publicly announcing that it is conducting an investigation until charges are brought. Mandate that if an investigation is announced in error or leaked, the FBI publicly announce the closure of the case. If and when that closure comes and that FBI staff refrain from implying in public the subject of their investigation is guilty. How about mandate if there are le- leaks from the Bureau of uh, FBI or from the Department of Justice, the case goes away? They got to shut it down. Charles Cook says while he agrees with all of these reforms, he's actually come to a more radical proposition. The FBI, in his words, quote, ought to be destroyed from the ground up, end it, dissemble it, dissolve it, repeal its charter, evacuate its building, spoilate its budget and supplies. Now, I need you on the left to understand something. His position does not come from the FBI's search of classified information at Mar-a-Lago. It comes because the FBI had all the information about Larry Nassar, the abusive coach of the gymnastics team, and did nothing. It comes because the FBI set up Matt Gates, who I don't particularly care for, but made it sound like he was trafficking underage girls and he wasn't. But the FBI leaks made it look like he was and he's been unfairly maligned. The FBI raided a bunch of safety deposit boxes in Beverly Hills, misled a judge on the situation, wanted to keep everything in excess of $5,000, whether it was from criminals or not. The FBI has time and time again obfuscated before federal judges to get its way on issues, whether it's uh, observing and and spying on Carter Page or the Larry Nassar case or so many other situations. We must be able to trust an agency like the FBI. We as a people must be able to trust it, and it's very clear we can't. And because we can't, if the agency can't be reformed, it must be shut down. Forget about Donald Trump and the Mar-a-Lago raid. We're, 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 I'm going to speak about that when we come back on the other side of the break, just real briefly. The problem here is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which has some really good people and has done some really good work to keep us safe from terrorism in the United States, seems to have shifted politically, not to the left or to the right, but to politics itself. And Charles Cook now takes the position that it always has been and therefore can't be reformed. I would at least go with reform and try it, 
but it's very clear in the leaks about the Trump situation and the Steele dossier and the talking heads from the CIA who wound up on CNN and MSNBC that too many of the people in the upper brass and the establishment of the FBI lean too far left. You can't trust them if you're a conservative. You can't trust them if you're an American. You can't trust them to seek justice as opposed to pursuing you for justification for their existence. Something is profoundly broken within the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I would prefer it be saved and fixed and reformed, but if it can't be, it must be broken apart and ended. But one way or the other, there must be a detailed congressional investigation into how these things happen. Some member of Congress must stand up in leadership and start asking very tough questions and finally perhaps start a church committee and figure out how it can be, if it can be reformed, and if it can't be reformed, shut it down. No entity at the federal level should have the powers the FBI has to investigate American citizens. The police power constitutionally belongs to the states, not the federal government. Some reform must happen. Patriot Mobile wants to pursue issues like this and elect good candidates who care about these issues, but they need your help to do it. And all you have to do is take your cell phone service to them. All you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. If you do that, you you move your uh, business over to Patriot Mobile, you can take your existing phone number or get a new phone number, and you get free activation with my name at patriotmobile.com slash Eric, and you don't have to worry about the service. You get guaranteed great service. They use the same towers everybody else uses. All you do is patriotmobile.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, or call them. 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. They want to do business with you. They share your values. They're the only explicitly created Christian conservative cell phone provider in America. I know the founders. They're good people. It's a great company. They give great service. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Do business with people who want your business and then through your business with them can support the causes you care about. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's talk about Donald Trump and this special master. Um, There have been several news stories out, and it just looks like it was a boneheaded move. The president himself got uh, the special master he wanted. The special master turns out uh, not exactly to be uh, sympathetic to the president, and now the president's team is treating the guy they wanted as as not their guy, as a bad guy. The whole thing is kind of silly here. This is over whether or not documents were classified or not. Here is what I find notable and what you need to hang your hat on. The president's team in court has not under oath made the claim they've made to you in public. That claim is that the president gets to declassify documents however he wants, whenever he wants, by whatever means he wants. If he says they're declassified, they're declassified. They haven't made that claim in court. One of my singular frustrations with American politics today is how the supporters of either side will take at face value the claims made by the politicians they like. And anyone who points out anything to the contrary or suggests it may not be so is the bad guy. I've gotten the hate mail on this one already. My point is that if it involves a legal matter, 
and the president's lawyers are unwilling to put it in writing and submit it under oath to a court where they would be punished if they misrepresented the situation, you probably need to believe what's in the court filing. This goes back to like the the election denial stuff. So many of the claims were not claims they were willing to put under oath in court before Trump-appointed judges. And that's kind of one of the sticking points here as well, is is these are Trump-appointed judges. Donald Trump went to a judge he appointed, was able to pick a special master he wanted, and that special master who he picked, assigned by a judge he picked, is unsympathetic to the charges made by the president who will not himself say in court under oath that the documents he claims were declassified were actually declassified. If the president tells you and me, I've declassified these documents, and he's not willing to make that claim under oath in court, then maybe he's not being truthful with us. That's all I'm saying. Don't listen to what they say. Listen to what they say under oath. If they're not willing to say something under oath, they're not willing to be bound by the implications of truth. It's kind of a problem. And so how's it going for him? Well, the Department of Justice has released a statement. Plaintiff brought this civil equitable proceeding. He bears the burden of proof. If he wants the special master to make recommendations as to whether he is entitled to the relief he seeks, plaintiff will need to participate in the process that the judge laid out. What does this mean? Well, the president's lawyers are now arguing that the special master that Trump wanted is going beyond what was authorized of him to do. I can't believe they walked themselves into this. They struggled to find a good lawyer. They finally got a good lawyer, and that lawyer has now moved on to other things pretty quickly. This was such a boneheaded thing. I still don't believe he's going to get indicted, but it was a boneheaded thing for them to do.